With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the Albie Smith Ford Lincoln Studios at WHP 580, this is Let's Talk Travel with AAA with Sandy Fenton. Happy and healthy new year to all of you. We are still very new into 2017. And one of our favorite guests, Dr. John Goldman, is back in the studios with us. John's been giving us healthy travel advice for over 13 years now. And we need you more than ever, John, as the world becomes smaller and we keep traveling all over the world. So John is the medical director for Pinnacle Health's Infectious, Infectious Diseases and Travel Clinic. Well, welcome. It's good to be back. Thank you. You look exactly the same. <laughs> Thank you. So I've got you here twice a year, uh-huh. and I love it because it's right at the beginning of the year, and then right, right in the middle, summer. right before summer vacations. Yeah. All right. So, John, now before we get into all the listener questions, you know, we have to start with our little celebrity chit-chat and there, talk about yeah. some of the people that have gone before us, and the current headlines with the Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher deaths. So, first off. When you are flying a long distance and you suffer a heart attack, is there anything we can do to help ourselves until we land and get to a hospital? And do most people become unconscious when suffering a heart attack? So most people will not become unconscious. Most people will have chest pain. They'll get shortness of breath. They, with some types of heart attack, they can simply have an upset stomach. If you're in the air, there are a couple of simple things that you can do. First of all, take aspirin, and I would take either one regular strength aspirin. I would chew that, or I would take four baby aspirin. And again, I would chew those so that they get into the bloodstream more quickly. And part of the problem with a heart attack is there's not uh, um, enough oxygen being delivered. All of the airplanes have oxygen. I would put oxygen on. Most of the airlines have emergency medical kits. Um, If they have emergency, if they have nitroglycerin in that uh, kit, I would take them. I would have you. I would take that. But I would. Uh, the two things that you know you can do is take an aspirin, and also put on oxygen. Okay. And the the uh, the aspirin again would be just a regular like so a bare one, one, one one. You'd prefer not to have the um, the coated aspirin. Not coating. Okay. But the uh, in most of the studies. They have people chew the aspirin because when you chew it, it gets into your system more quickly. So I would either chew four regular aspirin, I'd chew a regular aspirin, or chew four baby aspirin. And is that five hundred and twenty-five milligrams? Three hundred twenty-five. Three hundred. Three hundred. Okay. Okay. Um, so here's another question: Do people like? Can you really die from a broken heart? Like they're saying, Debbie Reynolds died. It's. Is I've heard that that's a bit of a phenomenon. Is that true? You know. There are a lot of studies where if you have especially close couples where one passes away, the other frequently passes away shortly thereafter. They have done studies where people can almost delay their death because if you look at a big holiday coming up, Christmas, for example, there are a lot of people who get to a Christmas, who get to an anniversary and then pass away afterwards. And so there are actually – Fairly good studies that show it's that if you have two very close people, 
uh, you know, typically a long-term husband and wife, it's awfully common for one to pass away shortly after the other. So you don't look at this as just a wives' tale. There may be some real truth to this. There's clearly people who are living for someone else. There's clearly people who, for example, become depressed after their loved one dies. Depression is associated with a higher risk of mortality. And there are people, clearly people who are kind of willing themselves to live till they get past a birthday, till they get past an anniversary. And that's pretty well studied, and that does, in fact, occur. Yeah, I'm reading more about it. And I just want to go back quickly about the heart attacks. And when you said chest pains, you know, and shortness of breath, and then you said an upset stomach. And is that because there's a difference between men and women's symptoms? Well, two things. One is that there's a difference between heart attacks that occur classically in the upper part of the heart and what are called inferior MIs, ones that occur in the bottom part of the heart. And the ones that occur in the bottom part of the heart are often um, have often have more just plain GI upset. So what ends up happening is there are people who, when they're having their heart attack, their stomach is upset. They get nauseous. They vomit. Now, that happens to most of us. One time or another, yeah. yeah. With any kind of chest pain, any kind of nausea, if it gets worse when you get up and exercise and it gets better when you rest, you have to think about could it be coming from the heart. So for example... If every time you walk up a flight of stairs, you're getting nauseated, you're getting sick to your stomach, you throw up, then clearly that could be a sign of a heart attack. One of the reasons that women um, are diagnosed more slowly than men is, one, people seem people have a lower index of suspicion. Guys have heart attacks at younger ages and at a higher rate, so people don't always think of it in women. And two, they are thought to have women are thought to have more atypical chest pain, chest pain that isn't the classic um, crushing chest pain on the, in the center of your chest, things like stomach upset, other more vague pains. And can it be like a tightness around the chest? So often um, people who have heart attacks describe a tightness. They off, they'll say, oh my God, it's like an elephant sitting on my chest. And so a chest pain, a chest pressure can always can be a heart attack. Sometimes I feel tightness. Yeah, but, I, but but I've never had the elephant on the chest. Right, but that happens to all of us. So if it's just coming and going, it's gone within five to ten seconds. Right, it probably isn't a heart attack. You also have to be careful because many of us feel tightness in our chest when we get anxious. Yes. So if it's occurring in the context, and it's occurring when you're anxious, when you're nervous, it may be that you're not having chest pain, you're having anxiety. Um, but if it's prolonged more than uh, 30 seconds for a minute, or if it's clearly getting worse with exercise and better with rest, that's a time you'd worry. So that's a big flag. Yeah. But most people don't, when, they, when they're having real chest pain, don't say, oh, occasionally I get it. Oh, it lasts for five to 10 seconds, then it goes away. What they say is it's prolonged, it's associated with exercise, and people who are having real chest pain often get sweaty, often get sick to their stomach, often get shortness of breath. If you have the chest tightness, and you're sick to your stomach. If you have the chest tightness and you're sweating. If you have the chest tightness and you're getting shortness of breath, that's the time to worry. And do you also usually lose the color in your face? Many people, when they have any kind of um, um, heart attack, get pale, get sweaty, and that's what. And so they, if what I tell people is, if someone looks at you and says, "Oh my God, you look bad," 
then you should worry. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And then if you look in the mirror and go, boy, you're not looking so good no, today. Exactly. Th- then that's a big flag. Okay. So give us an update on Zika. I know tourism throughout Florida and the Caribbean and Bahamas have been hit with the fear of Zika. Should we be? And what should we do? So a lot of people, I was hammered with this yes. in the past few months. You know, people have made plans to take Caribbean cruises or they've made plans to go to the Keys or, mm-hmm. or you know, St. John's. And they've canceled their plans and they don't know what to do and they're afraid to get Zika, blah, blah. Okay. What is your advice? So it depends whether on two things. One if you're pregnant, if you're pregnant, I would stay out of all the areas that have Zika. That includes the Caribbean. That includes South America. That includes Mexico. There are very small parts of Florida that have had documented Zika. I believe that those, those outbreaks are over. But the issue with Zika is that if you're not pregnant and you get it, it's a 80% of the time you don't even know you have it. The other times you get what's kind of a classic flu-like illness. You may have slightly more incidence of a ra- – you may have more rashes. You may have more red eyes. But most people get Zika, never know they have it or think they had just a nonspecific viral illness. There is a slightly higher incidence of something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is you get have the virus and then you get very weak. The issue with that is Guillain-Barre syndrome occurs, you know, one in 100,000 times without Zika and then it will occur five in 100,000 times with Zika. So the way we know that isn't that when there's a Zika outbreak, there are tons of people with Guillain-Barre. It's when they go back and look, they realize there was a slightly higher incidence of it. So if you're not pregnant and you're not trying to conceive, the virus is likely to be something that you either won't know you have or won't hurt you. On the other hand, if you're pregnant, roughly 6% of the people with Zika virus have some kind of birth defect, and they do have microcephaly, which is the head. It's exactly what it sounds like. The head doesn't grow. The kids have severe mental retardation. They require pretty much total care for their life, and it's a devastating consequence. Anyone who is pregnant should simply stay out of the areas with Zika. The other issue is you can have Zika for um, you can get Zika for about two weeks after you return, and Zika can be a sexually transmitted disease. Men remain infectious for up to six months after they have Zika, and so what we recommend is if you are thinking of conceiving and you've gone to anywhere where Zika is present, whether or not you think you had symptoms, you shouldn't try to conceive for at least six months. And get your man checked out. And, well, the <laughs> issue is that you there's no good test for it. So let's say your husband, who you'd like to father a child with, went to Mexico, came back, wasn't sick, nothing happened. He could still have Zika. He could still give that to his wife for up to six months. So the recommendation wow. is if you are if you are trying to conceive and you've gone to anywhere where Zika was, was present, whether or not you had symptoms, you don't 
try to conceive for at least six months. So that's a, a bit of a warning and a flag out there to honeymooners that are planning their I Caribbean can... trips or their Bahama trips or their trips to South America. You just may want to do a double take on all of that. Yeah. No, if you are planning on getting pregnant within six months of the honeymoon, yeah. Don't go to these areas. Well, there's lots of other places, people. Yeah, and we'll give you all the scoop on that. All right. Well, John, we've uh, covered two issues here, and I have about five pages. So we need to take our very first break. And when we come back, we're going to continue on. And what I really want to talk about is everybody is sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to know what the heck is going yeah. on. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. I've got the fever for. Welcome back. I'm Sandy Fenton, and we are going to stay healthy throughout this new year, especially when traveling. And our medical expert, Dr. John Goldman, is sitting in the studios with me. So we just talked about, you know, some of the current headlines with heart attacks and flying with heart attacks and what to do. And John says, chew one aspirin or four baby aspirins immediately. And then you want to take nitroglycerin if if it's available on the flight. Exactly. And put on oxygen. Exactly. Okay, and then we talked about Zika, but now we're moving on. So everyone I know has been really sick uh, recently, and all I'm doing is washing my hands and drinking hot lemon water. What the heck is going on, John? And how bad is the flu this year, and what are you seeing the most of? So let's start with what is going on with everybody? So first of all, we're seeing a tremendous number of both. There's a GI bug going around that gives people a lot of upset stomach, a lot of diarrhea. We're seeing the start of... flu season. Now, flu is clearly on the uptake. Pennsylvania is one of eight or 12 states that has widespread flu activity. And we're seeing a lot of just other nonspecific viruses, other flu viruses. As a result, we've seen much higher volumes in our urgent care centers, much higher volumes in our emergency rooms, and much higher volumes in our hospital. One of the things that we really want to stress is If you have the flu and you just have the flu, you're not short of breath, you're not dizzy, you're not um, getting dehydrated because you can't keep anything down, best place to treat that is at home. If you either have – you have an underlying medical condition that makes you more likely to get sick, so that includes things like heart failure, emphysema, asthma, if you have kidney disease, if you have liver disease, that's the time to call your doctor. They will likely be able to give you some anti-flu medication over the phone. And if you get feel like you're really sick, you're short of breath, you're dizzy, you're confused, then it's the time to go to the emergency room. But the majority of people with the flu really can be treated at home with Tylenol, Shouldn't take Motrin because there's a slightly higher risk of something called Rye syndrome. Fluids, many people get into trouble with the flu because they simply get dehydrated. And it's important to remember that fluids should include something with salt in it. So don't just drink water or soft drinks. Drink something like Gatorade. Chicken soup is great. And if you're drinking water or soft drinks, have something salty with it like pretzels or chips so that you can you maintain your hydration. It's one of the few times you'll so hear a doctor you, tell you to and, eat and pretzels you, or chips. You realize how happy you make so many of us yeah. to, to drink, ha, have fluids 
and eat potato chips. chips. Absolutely. But it's important to remember that they're too important when you want to stay – keep hydrated. It's water and it's salt. So you got to take both in either through something like a sports drink or flu- something that's salty, fluids or chips. Chicken soup is very salty. So that's a great thing to do. Always. So, so grandma was right. Grandma was very right. Okay. And – those of us, like I always get my flu shot in October. So those of us with our flu shots, not that we want to be, you know, to go through this with blinders on, but we are protected. Absolutely. So there are a couple of things. One is that you are much less likely to get the flu if you have your flu shot and you are much less likely to get sick even if you get the flu despite the flu shot. So people who get the flu, usually they have about 70% protection, meaning that 70% of them won't get the flu if exposed. On the other hand, if you do get the flu, you're much less likely to get very sick. When you look at high-risk people, people who have had heart attacks, people who have heart disease, people who have emphysema, getting the flu shot is associated with roughly a 50% reduction in mortality in English. During flu season, your chances if you're if you already have something wrong with your lungs or your heart, your chances of dying go down by fifty percent by getting your flu shot. I am always shocked that everyone doesn't get a flu shot. It seems like the easiest thing we can do to protect ourselves. It is the easiest thing to do. It's been well studied. The biggest thing that if you get the flu shot, biggest side effect that you'll get from the flu shot is a sore arm. Yeah. They've looked at this very closely where they've given people flu shots versus saline versus just simple placebo, a, a sham shot. And the only thing you get with more frequency with a flu shot is a sore arm. Yeah. Also, wow. people go, oh, I got my flu shot, but I got the flu anyway. The issue is that there are a lot of other viruses that circulate in respiratory season. So the flu shot protects you from influenza. It doesn't protect you from the common From everything cold. else. It doesn't protect you from the GI bug. But I strongly recommend it. I actually usually get mine in September as soon as it's available. And the other thing is we've had this year we probably have the uh, H3N2 strain, which makes people more sick and ends up in the hospital. The last couple of years we've had an H1N1 strain. And an H1N1 strain is the swine flu. It's the one that actually makes young people sick for reasons we don't understand at a much higher level. So I even recommend young people especially should be getting the flu shot. Is it too late in January? Because today's January 14th. Is it too late to get your flu shot now if you haven't gotten it? When you look at when the flu shot season peaks, it typically peaks in late January. So it is – you will – getting the flu shot will give you a little bit of immediate protection, will give you full protection in two weeks. And I can tell you we give our flu shots until we run out. So – Flu season extends until about April. If you come in in March and you still haven't gotten your flu shot, we'll give it to you. And if you have it, if you get it in September or October, are you still going to be protected as we get into, you know, March and April? Yes. People sometimes wait to try to give it later. What the Center for Disease Control recommends is giving it as soon as it becomes available. Um, There's always worry that your flu immunity may get less if you get it early, especially if we have a late season. On the other hand, I've gotten mine in September the last several years. Yeah, and I always get mine the very beginning. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. ...of October, so everything works. All right, we need to take another very quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are staying healthy today, and I've got Dr. John Goldman with us, so we're just going to continue on. All right, why and how do some people seem to catch everything and others don't, even though they're all being exposed to the same sick people and they both all seem to be fairly healthy? So there are a couple of things with that. First is there are people who simply take care, better care of themselves. So if you're exercising, if you're getting enough sleep, if you're not running yourself down, you clearly are at less risk of getting anything. And if you get a virus, if you get an infection, you're going to clear it more quickly. The people who are run down, not getting enough sleep, especially if you're drinking a lot, especially if you're smoking, they're just simply going to get sicker more easily. There are people who have kind of revved up immune systems and there are clearly people who get sick Morally easily than others, it's clearly some people have immune systems that act really well, fight off stuff better. There's clearly some people that don't. And I think there there's some people who compulsively wash their hands. So um, if you're going through – the vast majority of viruses spread during flu season are spread hand to mouth. And if you're washing your hands more frequently, it's not – your hands aren't going to get in touch with them. Most of us touch our face 10, 15 times an hour. And so if you clean your hands, when you do touch your face, you're not as likely to infect yourself. Well, and as John knows, I sprayed both of us with Absolutely. Clorox <laughs> when we walked into the studio because I'm one of those lucky people. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the last time I even had a cold, you know, so yeah. I'm very lucky, but I do wash my hands all the time and I do all the good things yeah. that you said. So and I'm keeping my fingers crossed now that nothing happens. All right. On to the questions, more questions. I almost canceled a trip to California because I woke up feeling fine, and then all of a sudden I felt a pain in my upper back between the shoulder blades. Then I felt a bit nauseous and lightheaded, like I was going to faint, but I didn't. As the day went on, I rested and felt okay. The next day, okay the next day, and I did indeed fly to California as planned. What happened to me? Was my body fighting something off like a 24-hour bug? It's hard to tell. Um, it could have been that they were fighting off a 24-hour bug. It could have been a plain muscle strain, meaning that you strained a muscle in your back and it just simply got better on its own. It's hard to explain why there was nausea with that. Um, the biggest test is that it got better during the day as opposed to getting worse. If you wake up with bad pain, it's new and, you know, it gets worse when you move. It's probably muscular. And if it keeps getting worse in the day, um, then you might have to worry, especially if it only occurs – if it gets better when you exercise – it gets worse when you exercise and better when you rest. So, you know, and I guess, John, and I remember one time you saying this to me years ago and you, Michael Parks, and I laughed about this because I was telling you about some things and you said sometimes it's just bad luck. Things yeah. happen – Nobody has the answers for them. They go away, and it's just part of being human. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the frequent questions we get is, why did this happen? And one of my frequent answers is, bad luck. I can't tell you why you got this pneumonia. I can't tell you why you got this illness. People always want to say, what did I do that right. could have prevent that could have caused this or what can I do in the future to prevent this? And you often it just comes down to bad, good or bad good luck. Good or bad luck. Uh, if you begin to feel unwell or something not right is happening to you, what is the best thing that you can do for yourself? So it depends on what that is, obviously. If it's something where you realistically think something bad might be happening, you've had the worst headache of your life, uh, you're dizzy, you're really short of breath, you're having chest pain, you're having bad belly pain, you should not mess around. You should go right to a hospital. If you feel like you have a cold, if you feel like you have a run-of-the-mill virus, you should take probably some Tylenol. You should keep yourself hydrated, and then you can observe. If it starts to sort of get better, you don't have to worry. If it starts to worsen or you start to – people begin telling you that you don't look good, then you you probably need to be seen. Okay. All right. Our 16-year-old son is going on a school trip to Germany in March. Should we pack any medications for him to take? This is his first trip overseas. So. First of all, this is a trip to Germany, so it's essentially a trip to an industrialized country. So you don't have to worry as much about things like traveler's diarrhea. You don't have to worry about getting sick from the water. What I would suggest is for a trip overseas to to pack the basics, Tylenol, Motrin. I personally would bring something like an antiseptic cream, something like a triple D ointment, something like betadine, and bring a few bandages bring a little bit of gauze. So that way, if you are, you know, if you have a headache, you can take the Tylenol. You can take the, if you strain, uh, if you twist your ankle, you can take the Motrin. Um, But for trips like that, where you're going to an industrialized country, it's really just taking the basic stuff with you. Okay. Um, What is the best treatment for traveler's diarrhea and how can we prevent it? We're going to Mexico and Panama and do not want to miss one day due to illness. My husband and I are healthy and turning 60. Okay. So best thing to do is good food and water precautions. Remember, in the third world, the water is frequently contaminated. Traveler's diarrhea is frequently from run-of-the-mill bacteria called E. coli, which are typically found in people's gut. And I usually, if people become sick... We'll give them an antibiotic called ciprofloxacin and then over-the-counter Imodium. Ciprofloxacin you have to get from the from your doctor. You can get the Imodium over-the-counter. The best way to prevent becoming sick is not drinking anything but sterilized water. I recommend people not only just drink bottled water but drink carbonated bottled water. The carbonation has a little bit of antibacterial effect and a local entrepreneur can't take the bottle of Perrier, right. stick it up to the tap and then sell it to the tourist. Make sure you remember that salads are washed off in water. Ice is made with local water, so drink your soft drinks without rice. Don't have things like salads. Don't have any fruit you can't peel, anything you can't get out of contact with the water. And it's not a good idea to um, eat food from street vendors. Not only will you prevent traveler's diarrhea, but you'll prevent things like typhoid. You'll prevent things like hepatitis A. I do usually give people Cipro and Imodium to take. 
so that if they do have diarrhea, they can begin taking that, self-treat themselves, and not ruin the trip. Do you notice when you talk about this now, I don't cringe as much as I used to? Not as much. Because you I'm cringe. your assistant now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, you, you still cringe a little. I do. And and I don't know if you mentioned about with brushing your teeth. So that's yeah, so another brushing thing. Brushing your teeth, but don't you use toothpaste. Don't use local water. That's right. Use, use the bottled water. water. All right. All right. We need to take another break. We'll be right back. Doctor, my eyes have seen the Welcome back. We're all about staying healthy while traveling with Dr. John Goldman and continuing on. I fell asleep on a flight to St. Thomas, and when I woke up, I had something in my eye that I could not get out. I had discomfort every time my eye closed. I bought eye drops at a convenience store in the airport, but it bothered me for almost two days and then kind of stopped. What should I have done? It was awful, and I was obsessed about it. Should I have gone to a doctor or urgent care clinic on the island? What should I bring with me when I travel from now on? So what sounds like is you got something that was a small piece of grit, something in the eye. Yeah. The best thing to do is wash the eye out. What I would do is when I got to the hotel, I would put water in the eye. I would force a little water into the eye, and that will get the piece of grit, the piece of glass out. You can have more serious scratches, corneal abrasions. In that case, if you have real pain, especially whenever you blink, and not just a little bit of discomfort, real pain, then you should be seen. In addition, if it's something you you think that's more than like a piece of grit, a piece of something, if it's from broken glass, for example, Mm -hmm. then you should be seen. So if you're falling asleep on an airplane, it's probably a little piece of dust, it's a hair, it's something, it's a piece of dirt, which will hurt when it's underneath your eye. Best thing to do is wash it out. If on the other hand, you just broke something and you think it's a piece of glass, something more serious, then you should be seen to have it taken out. Okay. And and you would feel confident pretty much when you say be seen and you're in St. Thomas, you're in the Caribbean. Are you going to an urgent care clinic? I mean, do you go to try to find an ophthalmologist? So what I would do in the Caribbean is first thing I would do is I'd ask the concierge right. at the um, at the hotel because they will probably have some place they typically send their people right. to. Many of the hotels have physicians that can quickly see you. Um, it can be def- very difficult if you're traveling through the third world figuring out where to go. What we recommend is is talking to the embassy, going to a university hospital, or going to uh, a, a hospital that's associated with one of their medical schools. Right. Well, that makes good sense. My 64-year-old wife has a low B12 count, and we are going to Central America for a year. Should she buy all her vitamins in the States and bring with her, or are all vitamins made the same? If she does not take for a few weeks... What will happen to her? Okay. So if she has low B12 levels, I'm assuming that she doesn't have any symptoms from that because typically if you have symptoms, they're giving you B12 shots. I personally would get the vitamins in the United States because I am less confident of what you're going to get overseas. It's probably not a big deal. You can probably safely take the vitamins you would get overseas. With B12 deficiency, in order to get symptoms – you typically have to have very low levels and they have to be very low levels for a couple of years. We usually either see them in people who are older 
and don't make enough acid so they don't absorb the B12 in the stomach or people who are vegans who don't take any animal protein whatsoever, even in people who are vegans so they really don't have any B12 coming in. Um, it takes a couple of years before they develop any symptoms. So I would say that if she doesn't take it for a couple of weeks, nothing is going to happen. I would personally bring vitamins from the States. Okay. Uh, is cold weather below freezing healthier for us because it kills germs? So I'm, I always think that it is because it kills germs and it kills like these bugs. But am I wrong about this? You know, it's it's cold weather. The, the bugs probably are transmitted a little more easily in cold weather, but the real issue is everybody is indoors, everybody is crowded together, and so the viruses, et cetera, take advantage of the fact that they're that we're closer together and they're easier to jump from person to person. So there's a little bit of truth that cold that actually cold weather can transmit some of these things more easily. The real issue is that they um, that everybody's crowded together. And the viruses just simply jump from person to person more easily. It is a myth that if you just go out in the cold, you're likely to get a cold. One of my favorite studies is they took a bunch of medical students. They let half sit inside and stay warm. They took half and put them out on the football field, had them outside freezing for a couple hours. And they developed flus, viruses, colds at about the same rate. So your mother was wrong when she said you had to put on a jacket or you get yeah, sick. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that also. And and isn't it true that the way that you really do get a cold or a bad cold, it's not from being outside. It is from another person. Like yeah. you, you have to catch it from somebody else. Yeah. So typically during cold season, um, people sneeze. They touch tables. They touch doorknobs. The viruses live on the table, on the doorknob, and you touch it and then touch yeah. your face and get it. And then you get it. Okay. Uh, if I get a deep cut – but I am not near a medical facility. What can I do so it does not get infected? Should I bring an antibiotic with me as a precaution? So I wouldn't recommend doing an oral antibiotic if you get a deep cut. All you're likely to do is if you do get infected, it'll be with something harder to treat. The only exceptions to that would be if you are have a, a human bite possibly a cat or a dog bite. We frequently give antibiotics for that. Most people don't get bitten in most while they're on trip, so I don't recommend bringing an antibiotic just in case. What we do recommend is bringing in an antibiotic ointment, Bacterman, uh, Triple D ointment, any of the over-the-counter ointments, and putting that on the cut. The other thing you can do with the cut is you, you've seen people use kind of steri-strips where they just take essentially tape and get the thing together. I would try to tape it close together if I couldn't get to medical care. And when you said you wouldn't take an oral antibiotic, um, but would you put like a cream? Absolutely. And what is, is that, um, uh, what am I, Neosporin? Neosporin. I'd put it Neosporin on it. So that's what you would use and mm -hmm. that would protect you then? Yeah. So I'd keep, the, I'd keep it covered. Um, I would use some kind of Neosporin cream and I would keep it protected. Okay, so do you remember the movie Deliverance, John? Yes. Do you remember when Burt Reynolds is going down and he gets shot or something with the arrow and his bone is coming out of his mm. thigh and I can't look at it and it's and this was just on that's why I'm remembering yeah. it. And you see like the red, the bone. Yeah. I mean, so but that's that's a, that's a different case because if you, the bones if they're having what's called an open fracture, meaning the bone comes out of the skin and is exposed to air, they're at high risk of becoming infected. 
Now, we often give short courses. By short means 24 to 48 hours worth of antibiotics when they come in to be fixed. But we'd watch that very closely. The biggest thing is it's you know bad to leave the bone open oh. to air and dirt or deliverance water. Yeah. Um, oh. so, so it's at high risk of becoming infected. So if that would ever happen, you know, you're on a camping trip. Now, you're not doing the deliverance stuff, but yeah. you're on a camping trip and somebody does fall and breaks a bone and it comes out of the skin like that. How do people pass out then? Um, people have a lot of pain. They may oh. pass out from the pain. In that case, what you have to do is get them to medical attention very quickly. Uh, it's unlikely you're going to be able to get the bone back in by yourself. Oh, that's oh, that's such an awful thing to think about. All right. So I want to ask you, John, you have been doing what you're doing for a lot of years now. You know, yeah. you're you're the guy. You're the infectious yeah. disease guy. How do you not get sick? All the time with all these sick people. You know what? I wash my hands a lot and I've had good luck. Um, I'm actually, I want to say a little less worried because I've been exposed to TB a couple of times. I've been exposed to measles twice. And so I just tend not to worry a lot about it. Um, And I, I wash my hands probably 30 times a day. I wash them before I see the patients. I wash them afterwards. And I assume my immune system is revved up, too. And if somebody asked you when you walked in and if they said to you, uh, Dr. Goldman, have you washed your hands? Would you ever take that as an insult as a person? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, that's being careful. Um, I actually did something where we did a thing to promote hand hygiene, where if you caught me not washing your hands, the hospital would buy you dinner. Oh, I love that idea. So I got all the way through. It was for a month. I got within six hours of the contest ending, and one of the housekeepers caught me coming out of a patient room without watching. So she got a she got a nice dinner out because of that. There you go, and there you learned your yeah, lesson. I did actually. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Well, Dr. John Goldman, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And I'll see you again in May, and we'll do our kickoff to summer vacation season and how to stay healthy with the kids, because we'll focus more on the kids then. So, John, last quick question. What medication would you never travel without? If I was going to choose one medication, I would choose aspirin. You can use it for headaches. If you sprain your ankle, you can use it for that. And if you wake up with chest pain in the middle of the night, you can take it. So and chew it. That would be the, and chew it. That would be, if I was going to choose one medication, that would be the medication okay. I would take with me. That will always be in my pocketbook. Good. Thank you, thank you. And for more information, go to whp580.com and click on the link to Let's Talk Travel. A special thank you to my producer, Michael Parks. Let's Talk Travel is a production of iHeartMedia and News Radio WHP 580. We'll feature Holland America's On Stage Alaska next Saturday morning at 11. I'll see you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.